Hi, friend. Welcome to Holly's Highlights, a podcast designed to encourage, inspire, and equip you to intentionally live your life full of purpose. I'm your host, Holly Kirby, motivational speaker, leadership cultivator, marketing strategist, and personal cheerleader. Let's check out today's highlight. According to the 2019 and 2020 APPA National Pet Owners Survey, 67% of U.S. households own a pet, and the numbers are only rising due to the surge in pet adoptions during the COVID-19 pandemic, which has people spending more time at home. In fact, CNBC reports that online pet store Chewy's has had an increase in shares of more than 141%, 141% so far this year, and it reflects its pandemic-related opportunities. So CNBC goes on to share that Target has furthered its line in options of pet supplies, including clothing and even colors and designs of cat scratchers, as they too say about 70% of their shoppers now own a pet. There are so many benefits of owning a pet. In fact, Forbes reported that owning an animal can increase opportunities to exercise, get outside and socialize. Regular walking or playing with pets can decrease blood pressure and cholesterol levels and triglyceride levels. And pets can help manage loneliness and depression by giving us companionship too. I've noticed firsthand the benefit of simply teaching responsibility to my son, who has kept a pet fish alive for over a year. I'm excited about that. So with the rise of this pet ownership and in celebration of National Pet Day, what should we know and consider before buying a pet? Well, today we have with us Deanne Shepard from the Humane Society of Utah to help guide us through what we need to know before buying a pet. Now, Deanne has worked as the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Humane Society of Utah since January 2015. Her team creates authentically branded assets to promote and educate and enhance the Humane Society of Utah's mission and vision. But she recently earned her master's in strategic communication, and she has a background in both psychology and biology. Now, Deanne is a woman of many talents, from studying marine mammal behavior and living in French Polynesia and Florida Keys during research and rescue and rehab of marine mammals, and formerly working in the television and film and music production industry, many years in the business management, to being a certified EMT and search and rescue volunteer diver, and even having cave diving certifications. She's amazing. But it's her love of pets that growing up with over 70 pets, to be exact, who were all considered members of her family, that adds to her insight on today's episode. She now lives with two dogs and three rescued cats, two of whom she bottle fed and raised since they were one day old. Welcome, Deanne. We are happy to have you today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I first got to ask you, tell us about those 70 pets. Well, I tell people that I did not live on a farm per se. None of these animals were raised for commercial purpose. It was more of a zoo. (laughs) My mom was like local rescue caretaker. And anytime anyone had an animal that they just couldn't care for anymore, we would take it in. And of course, all of these animals were members of our family. We had everything from fish and lizards and guinea pigs and birds to horses and even sheep. Because my my mom thought that was really funny with the last name Shepherd that we have sheep. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes the occasional chinchilla or peacock would come through and we would maybe find new homes for some of the animals. But many of these cats and dogs and birds and rabbits were 
just members of our family. And I don't know if anyone else has had cement laid in their home where they put their handprint down. Yeah. You can go to my parents' house and all of us have our handprint and then there's a dog print and the cat print and the rabbit print right next to us, members of the family. Oh my goodness. Wow. That that is a lot of animals. I especially like the peacock. That's fun. (laughs) Now there is so much that goes into caring for one animal, let alone 70 as you know best. And I, I think if nothing else, this first question may be for my own daughter, as she wants to have either a cow or a pig as a pet. And now, mind you, we live in a more dense suburban area. So I guess the first question would be, what should our listeners consider before buying or adopting or taking in a pet? Well, you know, when you're considering a new family member, you want to kind of make sure that it's almost like dating your online dating, perhaps you want to consider what you're looking for, what your interests are, what your activity level is, and make sure you find the right fit for both you and the animal. So let's say you're very active and you want to go hiking with a pet. Maybe you want a dog and then you'd look at getting a dog that was young, a breed that was very active, that would keep up with you on hikes or runs versus a guinea pig, (laughs) an older dog who just wants to cuddle on the couch And then for other members of the family, perhaps you want that dog to cuddle with the couch, you know, cuddle with you on the couch while you're watching TV. And maybe a senior cat would be great or an older dog. So really, you have to think about what your expectations are. Sometimes people fall in love with a dog or cat because of the unique breed or look. And this is where we really rely on our adoption counselors to have an open discussion with people as they're saying, I want to adopt a husky, or I want to adopt, you know, this beautiful herding breed dog that I saw on your website. And then we asked them, well, how many hours can you commit to caring for this animal? How long will you be away at work? And how much will you be at home? And how much training can you provide? Because a lot of these dogs need a lot of activity. They need exercise daily. They need enrichment and engagement to keep mentally stimulated. Because if it If an animal gets bored, they tend to maybe act out in behaviors that we don't appreciate. Look at having what your primary caretaker, who is that going to be? If you're getting a pet for your child, I think you need to understand that perhaps one of you as parents would be the primary caretaker um, or assign some duties to your children, teach them that responsibility. But any animal does well with a consistent routine and schedule. So when can they be fed every day? When can you clean up after them? And just all of those kind of secondary things you may start to consider that, you know, if you're living in an apartment, can your apartment even accommodate a certain breed of dog? Sometimes people have restrictions on what types of breeds you can have. So do your research to make sure before you bring a pet home that you can have that animal. If you live in a city or county where there's limitations on the number of pets you can have, that may also be a factor. And if you have other pets in the home already, If you bring a new dog or cat home, you want to really give that time for your existing pet to adapt and acclimate to having a new member of the family there. So do you have that time to, you know, give to the new pet and give to your existing pets and members of your household? Um, Do you have the time and money to care for this new animal? There's a lot that goes into it. And I think if you're willing, um, there's just pretty much a different type of animal for any type of activity level and any type of expectation you're looking for. And perhaps it is a fish that would be best suited for you. Like you said, it could be the easiest to care for. Yes. 
Right. Now, when we added, we used to have a golden doodle. And when he was coming into our family, goodness, 16 years ago, we purchased him from a breeder in Arkansas and had him actually flown out to us here in Utah on an airplane. It seemed extreme at the time, but he was the perfect addition to our growing family. In fact, just recently in, in the past year and a half, after my mom passed away, my dad found himself going to the local Humane Society, actually where you're at, Humane Society of Utah, and adopting a dog, George, who is just the perfect fit for him. So we all love George. So he's a perfect fit for all of us. <laughs> so whether it be adopting, whether it be buying from breeders, what are our options when looking at getting a pet? And what are the pros and cons of each of those? That's a good question. There are some pros and cons for both. And of course, working in an animal shelter, we like to promote the whole concept of adopting, not shopping. There are hundreds and thousands of animals in shelters across the country that are looking for new homes. So, of course, it's best to look at rescuing an animal from your local shelter or rescue group, giving them a second chance at a new loving home yeah. before purchasing and encouraging breeders to um, basically produce more more animals. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, we do understand there are some instances where people are looking for a very specific type of animal. So you're actually very lucky that you had a good experience um, you know, buying from a breeder and shipping an animal because we do warn some people that there are some scams, especially in this last year with the pandemic, people have been taken advantage of right. where they sell a puppy online and the picture's adorable and somebody sends money to this person, but there actually was never a puppy that existed and Ooh. they end up getting scammed. So we do encourage people to do some research on where they're getting their pet from And it is advisable if you're going to a professional breeder to actually visit their home and meet the parents and see the living conditions that these animals are raised in. And a lot of breeders will have kind of a warranty to tell you that, hey, if for any reason you can't keep this puppy, return them to us. And they care about their animals and they invest in the veterinary care and well-being of these puppies Versus some of what we call puppy mill or backyard breeders where they're just breeding their animals to simply sell the puppies. So you never want to buy from some like in a parking lot or do something where you can't see where the animal came from. There are some cons with risks involved from inbreeding animals too much where sometimes you can find behavioral or health problems. And again, we're talking about living animals. So it's very hard to have a a guarantee of health in any situation. So if you do adopt from a shelter, you will find some of the animals that have been surrendered to shelters were purchased from breeders and they are purebred and they're great pets. In fact, 25% of animals in shelters are generally of purebred background. You can find puppies and kittens in shelters from those oops litters that are surrendered. And if you do adopt, you already have an animal spayed and neutered and vaccinated and even microchipped sometimes where that saves you some of that secondary cost that you would get when you purchase. I, of course, want to encourage people to adopt, not shop. And when they look to their shelter and find some of these animals, you know, it just kind of helps to think of these animals as not being there by any fault of their own. They were simply surrendered perhaps because their owner could not commit the time to train them or did not have the the financial support to provide some medical care that the animal needed. So they're great family pets that just need a second chance. 
And they're by no means just abused or neglected animals. That's the one thing that I think some people have a misconception about is, oh, a shelter dog was just, you know, taken from abuse case or something. And I want a new puppy. And like I said, a lot of times you'll go to a shelter and find perfectly new puppies. that just came in from people who had those accidental litters. And, you know, we, we will go ahead and spay and neuter those puppies to help prevent any more that lead to the overpopulation problem. But it's definitely, I can't, again, you can tell, I can't encourage enough to have people just look into their local shelters and rescue groups and try to help find homes for all the animals they're waiting to be adopted. Yeah. Now, I was really impressed when my dad adopted George, how much you guys did put into caring for the the well-being of this dog. And, and as you mentioned, the microchip and the vaccinations and even providing a wellness check for my dad to be able to go to a local vet and just have him checked out. And that was covered. So, so impressed. But what other costs are involved with just simply owning a pet? What should we be mindful of that goes into it? Yes, the first year you bring a new pet home, you're going to want to, of course, go out and buy all of the new supplies that go along. So you need to go out and get the toys and the bed, perhaps the cat litter, the litter box or the dog leash and collar and the ID tags and just all those kind of initial purchases that you may need to make in your first year. If the animal is not spayed or neutered or vaccinated, you may have some of those medical costs. After that, you have just kind of ongoing annual expenses to keep up with the food and the treats and the litter and then taking them to the vet for their annual wellness checks. Okay. Even if they're not sick, you want to take them to your vet and just establish a good baseline for health and behavior and have them checked out every year. And of course, they may need their vaccination boosters at that same time. You may be taking them to a groomer. And so sometimes those are just the expenses that you need to plan on and budget for every year. But it's always wise to just put aside some extra money for those unknown emergencies, uh, some of those medical cases that you may end up at the vet for. And that's, of course, something that is the most difficult for people where all of a sudden their animal has some condition that was maybe pre-existing and unknown genetically, or they have some injury or illness that ends that can, you know, it can cost a thousand dollars minimum to be overnight in an emergency room for an animal. And so you definitely want to plan ahead for just having a savings plan for the unexpected. Absolutely. Now there seems to be different holidays where people want to give a pet perhaps as a gift. The Easter that might attract those cute fluffy bunnies or little chicks that we hear about, or maybe even summer carnivals and fairs that tempt us to bring home that goldfish, or of course the cute puppies popping out of the boxes at Christmas. Is this just a a myth or is this really what happens each year? Kind of give us what heads up we should know about giving a pet as a gift. So that is a good question question. And I get asked this a lot around Easter and Christmas, where people say, you know, do you see a lot of rabbits that are surrendered to the shelter after Easter, as if all of their neighbors went out and got a bunny rabbit for the Easter basket for their children, and then didn't know what to do with it after, <laughs> or they gave puppies to their family at Christmas, and then the person realized they couldn't keep a puppy and they surrendered them. But this is actually more of a myth than reality. And a lot of research has actually been done into this topic that shows that it is okay to give a pet as a gift. Most families have discussed the idea of owning a pet before it was gifted to them. And they found that when people received a pet as a gift, 
They still love that animal just as much as if they had picked it out themselves. They still provide the same veterinary care and attention and all the you know resources that that animal needs. So we we are okay with people giving a pet as a gift. When they come in to adopt from us, we of course have that same counseling interview to say, what type of animal are you looking for? What kind of home environment will this animal have to make sure that both the person receiving the pet and the pet find the right fit. That being said, just in any situation, if somebody receives an animal or adopts an animal and that animal just is not the right fit that they were looking for, or they find that they cannot provide all of the um, care and attention that the animal needs, we are okay having that animal brought back to a shelter because now we know more information about the pet to help find it a second home, but we don't want that animal to be kept in a home that's not perfect for it. And we don't want the owners to be stuck with an animal that they can't provide the best care for. You can bring that animal back to a shelter and we'll find it another home. Okay. Now, what pets do you recommend for various seasons and ages or those with, as you mentioned, families with young kids or senior citizens, a college student, or even those who who might need a certain pet with disabilities? Or what does that look like uh, from beginners to, to those who have had them in the past? What would you recommend for those? Yes. Yeah, so that, that comes back to a lot of what we talked about with when you're looking to get a pet, kind of consider your situation and your activity level and what your expectations are. And then when you're talking to one of our adoption counselors at the Humane Society of Utah, we will ask some of these questions to just open the discussion up. We want to say yes to you. We want you to bring an animal home, but we want you to consider some of the things that you may not have thought about. For instance, if you do live in an apartment, can your apartment take these breeds of, you know, the certain breed of dog that you're looking to get, or are there any restrictions? Um, If you're looking to adopt a hound that barks a lot and is very noisy, maybe that's not the best to be considerate for your neighbors. Uh, Perhaps you have, um, you know, you're a college student or you're working a lot, you just don't have the time to devote to an animal, then let's look at getting something that takes a little less effort, like perhaps a guinea pig or even a cat versus a puppy that is going to need around the clock time and attention and training. So some of these thoughts just may not occur to some people when they really, really want a puppy. But once we start talking to them about, okay, this animal's going to be up during the night, going to be crying. It's like taking a newborn baby home. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to devote the time for consistent, positive training that they will need and the time to socialize them that they need? And it does make people stop and say, oh, you're right. Maybe I'll look at an older dog or a cat or a rabbit. (laughs) So it it really is just kind of putting the mirror up and asking what your expectations are and and then kind of looking at what the needs of the animals are and matching up the, the perfect fit. And it seems that so often we don't think through the longevity of that commitment. So what does that average lifespan for different types of pets look like? Oh, yeah, that's definitely something to consider. A lot of people don't realize how long some of these animals may live, especially when cared for indoors. So that's one of the surprising things for people with like rabbits. Rabbits may live 8 to 12 years. It's almost the same time commitment as a dog or cat. So we don't want to refer to a lot of our animals as starter pets. They're not maybe that let's get a first pet for a child and and give them that experience of owning an animal because this animal is now a member of your family for quite a few years. If you are looking for a a smaller animal like a mouse or a gerbil, they may only live two to four years. 
But with cats and dogs, it depends on the breed and depends on the care, the quality of care that you're providing. Some of these animals could live eight to 20 years or even more. Wow. So we also emphasize the fact that, you know, getting regular checkups at the vet can extend the life of your beloved pet. If you keep your cats indoors, they are expected to live longer than if they're outdoor cats. And it's just good to kind of research the type of animal before you get it, which is kind of what this comes back to before deciding on bringing a pet home, just do a little research or talk to some people, um, talk to your friends and family, get their recommendations on where to go. Uh, if you go to a shelter or rescue group, talk to them about what they have available and what you're looking for. And, you know, it, it is, like I said, kind of like a dating experience. Want to make sure you find the right animal that's going to be the best fit for you and you for them. Okay. What about for our listeners that might have allergies? Are there still pets that would be able to work for them? That's a really interesting topic because we do get people that come in asking for hyperallergenic dogs or cats because they have allergies. And the science behind what causes allergies for a lot of people is actually the dander and saliva so it's not the fur or hair that causes the allergies. So even if you have a poodle or a dog that has hair instead of fur, that might help with the shedding issue, although you now have an additional expense for grooming that pet, and it may or may not actually help with your allergies. So you could still be allergic to the dog's saliva when they lick and groom themselves or lick you. And there's a few things you can do to help your allergies. If you are an allergy sufferer and you do love to have your pet around, talk to your doctor about some treatments or medications that you can take. I've even seen some research that there's food out that you can feed your cat that reduces some of the allergy causing factors in their saliva and their dander. And then also there's little behavior tips such as not letting your pet sleep with you in your bed. And I know we love to do that. We love to have our animals sleep <laughs> in the bed with us, but that isn't giving your body any relief from the allergy causing source. So you may want to keep your dog or cat outside and shut the door and not let them in your bedroom. So you have a, a nice safe place to sleep during the night. There's a lot of people I know that have allergies. They still can work with their pets and get around them with some of these things to just help reduce the exposure. Okay. And of course, wash your hands every time you're done petting your dog or cat before touching your face and eyes. Okay. When bringing that, that new pet into our home, is there like an adjustment period when getting that new pet? What does that look like? I hear some of my coworkers even have new pets and they, you know, will put them in the kennel into the restroom and kind of gradually wean them out. Or again, just kind of what that looks like, depending on what pet we have and kind of what our situation is too, our living situation. Sure. It really does depend on the animal. Some animals may adjust to a different situation more quickly than others. I mean, puppies and kitties, they just naturally adjust very quickly and you can take them home that same day they're running around where maybe an older dog or cat that's kind of set in their ways could take a little bit longer to gain your trust and be more comfortable with their, their changed situation. So we have counselors at the Humane Society of Utah that can help give you advice on acclimating a pet and introducing your pet to existing pets you already have in your home or new family members like children. It can take days to weeks to even months to fully let a pet adjust. So be patient and be ready to expect that they may have some you know, behaviors that maybe aren't ideal 
up front, but they will get better through some patience and some time. And of course, with some training, even if we have a dog at our shelter that we have information on that was house trained in their previous home, we warn people that when they take them to their new home, they may have an accident the first day. They really don't know your schedule and you don't know their body language when they're trying to tell you that they need to go outside. So if you have an accident, don't give up on the animal. Just learn to read each other's you know, body language and communication and get to know your schedules and keep them on a consistent schedule where eventually they will get house trained to your home. And in addition to that house training involved, is there any other training that we should be aware of for our pets? Sure. Every animal can benefit from some training. It's it's great for a pet to kind of know what's expected for them and be rewarded when they do it. But when we're talking about dogs, generally people want to have a dog that's well behaved, right? They're house trained. They can do some tricks. They can walk on a leash really well with you. So you can take them out to a dog park or go running or hiking with them. And this all takes a lot of time and training. And a lot of times we joke that it's not necessarily the animal that has to be trained, but the owner. <laughs> yes. You as the guardian of that pet. <laughs> yeah, you as the guardian of that pet need to kind of work on your training because sometimes it's hard to be consistent. We might reward our pet when they're doing something that they should be doing when we have the time and we're filling up to it. But then when we're tired or we're distracted, we don't reward them when they're doing that behavior. So it gets confusing for them. Like, hey, I'm doing what you asked me to do. Am I being a good boy? So it does take a lot of consistency on your part as the owner to really have the desired behaviors you want. I can give you some examples with puppies. Everyone loves to bring a puppy home. And it's more important to socialize a puppy during this very critical developmental period up to 16 weeks of age where they need to be exposed to new stimulus like sights, sounds, smells, uh, textures, people, places, and it helps them build the confidence to not be afraid of those situations when they're older. And it really shapes their personality in life. Once you have gone through this socialization period, then you can start obedience training. But when we see animals come into shelters that are very fearful of new situations, we hear people say, oh, that dog must have been abused by a man because he's afraid of men. Actually, what happened is they weren't properly socialized to meeting different types of men when they were younger. So they're just afraid. And that can be worked on through some training and some patience and time. But it is very important to just seek out a trainer that you trust and you make sure they're using positive reinforcement and not punishment because causing pain and fear in training might work in the short term, but it can cause a lot of behavior problems in the long run. That's good to know. With those insights of what to look for in a trainer, what would you advise looking for in a veterinarian? A lot of the same things apply. You want to talk to a veterinarian and trainer to make sure that they use positive reinforcement to help your your animal, especially on a vet visit. We have some things that we can look for that cause you know a fear-free experience where they're not afraid to go to the vet, but it becomes a positive experience because they're rewarded with some treats when they do a good job. And so talk to a veterinarian to make sure that they recommend working with your animal in a fear-free way. You're comfortable with your veterinarian. You've perhaps talked to friends and family and had some recommendations for who they like to go to. And then talk about keeping a relationship with your veterinarian. See them annually, even if your pet is not sick, just to make sure that you are giving all the baseline information about behavior and what's going on with your pet's health. And if uh, anything out of the ordinary arises where they're not 
eating or drinking the same way they usually do, or they're not playing, or maybe they're a little bit more lethargic. If anything is out of the ordinary behaviorally, we say go to your veterinarian first because a lot of times animals will act out when they're not feeling well, and they may not use their litter box because they're sick. So you want to check with your veterinarian first to make sure it's not a medical condition before looking into more behavioral problems. Absolutely. We, as I mentioned, we had a a golden doodle, Dakota, and he actually got ill and come to find out he was diagnosed with bone cancer and passed within that next year. But for us, we were so thankful that we had purchased pet insurance. What are your thoughts on pet insurance and and for which types of animals might our listeners consider getting pet insurance? And and even is there a certain pet insurance that you'd recommend? Yeah, I can tell you what pet insurance will sometimes do. And if you can afford it, I know it can be very helpful in a lot of situations. As I mentioned, it, it can be really unfortunate when you have an unexpected medical emergency arise that is costing hundreds to thousands of dollars And if you did not have that kind of safety savings account set aside, then you're faced with a very difficult situation. And unfortunately, that's where people do tend to come to us at the Humane Society of Utah looking for help and aid and resources. So if you can't afford some pet insurance, what that does is look into a company and look at what they cover. Make sure they cover everything. Some companies may cover pre-existing conditions. Some may not. And some companies won't pay up front, but they will reimburse you. So what that means is even if you carry pet insurance, you still need to pay for any medical care, but you can submit your receipt and be reimbursed, which is extremely helpful when expenses you know, get up into the hundreds and thousands of dollars. But it doesn't actually you know, cover you up front the same way that human insurance does. So do some research to find out what the limitations may be. And then also there's something called care credit out there. If you are able to be accepted to care credit, it's like a credit card where the account pays for the veterinary bills and then you can make payments back to that. But it's a very important thing to note that a lot of veterinarians don't take payments for their services. They need money up front. So pet insurance can be a lifesaver in some of these unknown situations. And so much of of caring for that pet just seems to, I mean, of course, we can't prepare for everything, but so much of it can be on our end and, and kind of pet proofing our home. I, I know for us, our our golden doodle would open up our freezer. We had a freezer that was on the bottom, fridge on the top, freezer on the bottom. And we would come home and it's like the chicken nuggets were just strung along you know, the family room and living room area. And so we ended up having to put children proof type things on all of our doors and our fridge and I mean, everywhere for our dogs. So what different ways can we pet proof our home? Oh, absolutely. I think all of us that own pets have one or two stories. Uh, Personally, I've learned that you just cannot leave anything out on the kitchen counter. My boyfriend has very large dogs and they, they know that they can get up there and pull down the cookies or pull down the treats. And we've walked out into the kitchen and found leftover dinner on the floor. <laughs> and you're like, no. <laughs> so we've learned just nothing can be left out, nothing safe. And that, <laughs> that is what happens is you need to kind of understand how to prevent things from happening that could cause a problem where you need to go to your vet. And honestly, dogs will eat anything, right? So this is a very important thing to consider. You want to keep things out of reach of your pet that could be harmful to them. If there's anything that could be ingested that is not safe, 
then put it away, lock it away. Like you said, use some type of, you know, childproofing techniques, keep them out of way of um, access. So one thing is like puppy or kitten proof in your house, because puppies, of course, love to chew on everything as their, their baby teeth are being lost and they're getting their adult teeth and they just want to chew on your shoes and chew on your furniture that you have to have, again, that supervision and time to watch them and give them alternatives like toys and teething rings that are okay for them to chew. Avoid feeding your pet's human food. And this is really important because human food tends to be very high in sodium and, and sugar. And their dry food is actually nutritionally balanced and it's scientifically been researched to give what they need. Cats especially are obligate carnivores and they need to have protein. So you just want to keep your pets on a consistent, healthy diet. Avoid giving them table scraps. A lot of human food can be toxic to pets. And for a list of this, you can check our website out at utahumane.org or, or do some research. But I'll give you an example, like grapes and raisins and garlic. A lot of these things can be very toxic. Sugar, we know, like chocolate and alcohol, of course, we don't want our pets to get into. But there's some plants that can be toxic to animals. You know, Easter time, we get some peace lilies and those can be toxic to cats. So do your research with just the plants and the food you have around your home and keep small toys out of reach. If they are chewing a toy and breaking pieces apart, take the toy away from them and throw it away so that they don't choke on anything that's too small and it becomes a hazard. If something gets caught in their GI tract and becomes a bowel obstruction, it can be fatal for your pet. So it's very important to make sure they don't rip apart that toy or that pillow and ingest the stuffing or eat some plastic or eat something that can't pass through and be digested like a rawhide bone or something that they break a big chunk out and swallow it whole and then it obstructs their bowel if you notice that your pet is vomiting or having you know diarrhea for multiple days or maybe they, they aren't having any bowel movement that could be a sign that they have a bowel obstruction so this is when you want to get them to the vet and have that relationship with your veterinarian to say, hey, my dog is not eating like he normally does. What's wrong? Okay, that's that's great. Now, I know for, again, my dad's dog, whenever we take away some of those toys, as you mentioned, have pieces breaking off or the stuffing coming out, he, he gets very, not only just put out, but very almost offended that we took away his toy. Are, are there just overall in having, in having the pets that we have, are there ways that we can build trust with them? I read a really interesting article just earlier about how cats can tell you they love you <laughs> and how you can show that that back to them. So this is a really fun question because how <laughs> do we develop that really loving relationship with our pet? And I would recommend just spending quality time with them. You know, when your pets want to be out in the room with you, they want to be on the couch, they want their love and affection. And sometimes I find myself, I'm too busy and my cat wants to jump up on my shoulder and be loved, but I'm getting ready to something work and I just don't have the time and I feel kind of bad. So when I am home, I want to spend time with my pets and play with them. I want to, you know, do things to develop that relationship. And under it all, a lot of it is keeping those, those quality times together positive. Training can be a really great way to bond with your pet because you're giving them a task to do. And when they do it and you reward that task, they feel like they've accomplished something and they actually have a really good sense of pride. Like, hey, I, I'm a good boy. I did what you asked me to do and I got rewarded for it. 
So we do want to encourage people to, again, use positive reinforcement and not punishment. Unfortunately, when we get really frustrated with a pet that is maybe misbehaving, we might tend to yell or hopefully not hit, but do something that kind of scares or punishes the dog. And unfortunately, what that does in time is it makes the dog fearful of you. So imagine the old saying that, you know, if you want to potty train your dog and you come home and they've had an accident in the house, if you take the puppy's nose and rub it in the accident or you chastise your puppy, the puppy doesn't understand what he did wrong. He could have had that accident hours before and now you just came home and yelled at him right so you're now the problem and you're the one that he's scared of because when he sees you he gets yelled at so kind of keep that in mind sometimes that these cats and dogs are just like young young children they may not understand what you're expecting them to do so reward them when they do things that they should do and when they do things you don't want them to do just be patient and work to to fix that behavior and feel free to contact our behavior experts at the Humane Society of Utah if you have any questions and need some resources to help. Oh, that's great to know. Is there anything else you'd advise to our listeners before they add to their family? Uh, So many topics I know I get off on because people come to shelters and they're surrendering their animals because they maybe had a frustrating experience. They didn't know how to handle the cat when the cat was house soiling. They didn't know how to handle their puppy when the puppy was chewing through their shoes. And they just get to the point where they're very frustrated and think they need to surrender the animal. What the Humane Society of Utah's mission really is, is to keep the family together and to keep that pet in its home. So if we can provide resources to the owners to fix these problems and either get medical care provided or give some behavioral resources and advice that you can overcome these challenges and keep the pet, that's great. That's what we want to see. If for some reason the the person's moving and just can't keep their pet in their home and they do surrender them to the shelter, then we're going to quickly find that animal a new home as you know, as fast as possible. And, right. and that's what I love seeing is somebody coming in and it, and like you said, your father did, they adopt a new pet and it changed their life. Yeah. So consider adopting, consider visiting your local shelter. These animals aren't abused, and neglected. They're just great family pets that need a second chance. If you can't adopt a pet right now, maybe you live in an apartment, you just want to foster. It's a great way to bring a puppy or kitten into your home for a couple weeks or months Uh, sometimes we have animals who've been through surgery or illness and they're on medication for like 10 days and they just need a loving, safe place to be while they recuperate. Then you as a foster are really saving these animals lives by giving them a home and helping them get to the point where they're able to be adopted back at the shelter. And if you can't foster, you can always of course make a donation or volunteer your time The Humane Society of Utah is a local private nonprofit. So everything we do is made possible through the support of our community and donations and volunteer hours. And that really is is what gets me excited. Our community loves pets. They love to come and adopt. But if you're not in a position to bring a new animal home, um, you can still help other people do the same thing by supporting our services. Awesome. Now, Deanne, on Holly's Highlights, we have a signature question of if you could go back and encourage, inspire, or equip yourself as a child, what would you tell yourself? This is really interesting because I thought a lot about this and I'm very fortunate to be in the occupation I am working with animals because I feel like I did as a child have this experience growing up with so many animals. I wanted to go in and study 
biology and work with marine mammals. So I have a little bit of that animal behavior background, studying psychology and studying animal behavior. And that was all great for my education. Of course, to work my way through school, I, I was in business management and a lot of that took me in a different direction from being able to live on a boat and study dolphins like I wanted to do as a child. So working at the Humane Society of Utah, I feel is a blessing that I can be able to use my business experience, but also my passion and love for animals. So if I did go back to myself as a child, I'd say, just keep doing what you're doing. You're on the right path. Yeah. I love it. Now you've been so helpful for so many of us today. Thank you. Where can our listeners connect with you? If anyone has more questions, feel free to email me at deanne at utahumane.org. They can find me on social media and LinkedIn. They can always call or stop by. We'll make sure to put those links in our show notes also. So although he was referring to dogs, as American photographer Roger Kara said, they're not our whole life, but they make our lives whole. And as we sure appreciate you, Deanne, for your time and expertise and sharing with us how to make sure we're considering so much that, that bigger picture of when looking at adding those furry or even the furless pets to our homes. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on this journey of life. I hope that today's highlight has been encouraging, inspiring, and equipping so you can go out and live your life full of purpose. I'd be honored if you'd take a moment to leave a review, or better yet, subscribe. We can also stay in touch by joining my email list at hollykirby.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-C-U-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, make it a great day for a great day.